you know, they shut down Hive like for a couple of days with all the security shit. You could read and edit people's DMs and shit. Like it's fucking insane how fuck that system is. And their yeah. contact page, dude, it's just blank. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows how desperate we all are to kind of like find that space. I downloaded internet. some of that shit, and never once logged in after I signed up. So I'm like, I don't even know. Like, fucking sucks. Fucking Elon Musk. God damn it. Welcome to Podcast X, episode 22. My name is Ben Kendrick. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hi, everybody. It's December. Yeah, it's December. That means we get to put that. Do you guys do Elf on a Shelf with your kids? Uh, no, my daughter's school does that, but I do do Advent calendars, which I'm a big fan of. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I'm doing Elf on a Shelf this year. I'm super excited. Uh, we're joined by Bitch Please... <laughs> special guest <laughs> Kofi Outlaw. I say that because that's the name that's showing up in my uh, podio or podcast recording software. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, we took a week off. It was uh, Thanksgiving here in the States. So Kofi and I were, <laughs> I was going to say neck deep in Turkey, but that sounds freaking weird. So, uh, so yeah, we're back and we want to talk Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special as well as we'll talk Andor. And then Kofi and I got to catch early screenings of Violent Night, the David Harbour film, where it's basically die hard if, if John McClane was Santa. Um, so we can talk a bit about that uh, at the end. So we're going to start with Guardians. We know we've been talking a lot of Andor because these guys are obsessed with the show and and have a, and are on Disney's payroll. That's all I... Uh, that's my speculation. I don't know. I, can, I can't confirm or deny but uh so we'll talk that in a little bit but starting with guardians um what do you guys think of this rob you saw this a couple weeks ago i feel like before it was technically even the holidays so Mm. did it hit different when you were seeing it a bit early or you still enjoy it uh that's a good point you know what it it may be um these low quality screeners certainly hit, <laughs> certainly hit different though. I, Is I your can't name stand floating it. around or your email floating around? I, I just it, it, a gigantic email watermark across the center of the screen, which is like, yeah. and if you, again, if you use the TV apps, if you have a smart TV, it's like, it, it's like opaque. So you can't see through it. So I had to hook yeah. up my laptop to the, you know, the 4k TV, which, you know, distorts it even more just to get the transparent watermark. Anyways, the whole thing's ridiculous, but, uh, I'm not going to gripe too much. I got to see it early, which is always good for content planning purposes. But, um, yeah, uh, this one's okay. Um, I think it's like a, a safe, fun thing for hardcore fans. that's worth watching with the family. Um, you know, over the holiday, uh, I do love the idea. And we talked about this before with Marvel's werewolf by night that they can do these things that are, you'd never see in the typical TV shows or movies. They can just have fun. They can just let a creator and his crew have fun. And for that, you can't knock them. They are having fun. This is, this particular story is the Drax and Mantis show, um, which works and doesn't. It doesn't because for me, as much as I love Dave Bautista and all these amazing roles he's getting, including in uh, Glass Onion coming up soon to Netflix and maybe back to theater soon, uh, his shtick 
of the comic relief, I'm sort of over, um, to be honest. Mm. Uh, not just with the third Guardians film coming out, but the way he was used in uh, all the crossover events and Infinity War and such. Um, I wanted at some point to see Drax the Destroyer on screen. <laughs> we are further and further away from that. And I think <laughs> Batista's sick of that too. Um, I'm surprised he's used as much as he is given what I think he's trying to say in his interviews about playing this character and wanting out. Um, but on the flip side of it, I think Pom, um, I forget how to pronounce her last name, Clementiev, um, does a tremendous yeah. job as Mantis and absolutely carries the show. She has the most screen time. She has all the emotional beats. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk spoilers yet, but you know, it's, 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 she is the lead of this for a reason. Um, and on the flip side, it's kind of funny seeing like Star Lord and Nebula, like even Rocket, like just completely backseated. Like I feel like Chris Pratt maybe had a half a day of shooting on this thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's fun to see. I think the 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 big hook, obviously, from the marketing is going to be seeing Kevin Bacon. Um, all these jokes finally being paid off. Uh, Kevin Bacon is awesome. Kevin Bacon as a version of Kevin Bacon is also awesome. I hope somehow he shows up everywhere. Uh, maybe you could be our Stan Lee replacement in the future. Um, very cool. And there's also a fun little intro outro that's animated that uh, brings back a, a fan favorite character. And, uh, they shot that using the actual actors and kind of rotoscope the hand art over it. And, and that was really nice to see. Um, uh, and, and before we move on, I'll say one more thing, a big shout out to Sean Gunn, of course, James Gunn's brother who, who plays the mocap for rocket, but also plays Craglin, a member of the guardians. Now he's also always been a, a part of the heart of the series and he gets a decent amount of screen time too. So, so yeah. I think it's worth watching, but it, to me, it, it ranks among the other Marvel Disney plus stuff, which is, it's okay. You don't got to rush to see it. Um, it's kind of forgettable, but it's safe and fun. So I'll leave it there. Kofi Ala, What did you, uh, what did you think? I feel like you have a more favorable view of this thing than, I feel like Rob is going to come off as a bit of a grin. I don't think you've this. talked to me in as many weeks to know shit about what I think, but <laughs> good try. <laughs> but good try, yeah. as always. Um, you know, it's always spirited that you're still trying. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, I saw this weeks ago, and um, I don't think it's forgettable necessarily. I think it will be annual. I think uh, at least Marvel scored two annual views with this and Hawkeye as kind of holiday season kind of viewings that people will return to. And I think it is, but I do think it is safe. It's just kind of easy. It's safe. Um, it was, you know, easy to film clearly. Like they just use some of the sound stages from guardians three to right. shoot the bulk of this. And then just a couple days in LA, you know? So yeah. it was safe, easy to make. Um, it's a very safe and pleasing special presentation. I think there is something to be said for the fact that Marvel has given us two special presentations that couldn't be more different and both are enjoyable as concepts because unlike the series, like if, if, if there's not a lot of stakes to these, like if they're not the hottest thing in the world, it's okay. Um, they can just give you a little snippet of something good and that's enough. And so I think this did that. Uh, I think again, like people have said, um, you know, <laughs> I try to tell people things early. Nobody ever listens, but I tried to tell people Palm Clementoff was going to be a star ever since I spoke to her on old boy. And she was just mm. like, if you don't, if you've never spoken to her, like she, there's a reason James Gunn recognized, like she is Mantis in a lot of ways. Um, she's been through a lot of fucked up family life and, but she has this kind of childlike naivete almost to the way she talks. And yeah. like, yeah, yeah. And she'll just say things to you that are like, she doesn't know how comedic she is. Like, 
you know, she was telling us about like doing a scene in old boy and like how it was tough for her because her, it was like getting her throat cut. She was like, it was very hard for me to act because my brother also cut his throat. And I was thinking about this on the day I was filming and you're like, wait, what? And like, yeah, yeah that's like what? Yeah, that was like that was like before Palm Klementov had like Marvel training and she was just like fresh out of the gate. And um yeah, and so it's hilarious to see and just kind of taking that, you know, because we do this podcast to tell you kind of insider backstories like this. Like we knew these famous people right when they were young and green and like, yeah, I'll never forget that because it was New York Comic Con and she is I mean, in real life they dress her up like Manus, but she is amazingly crazy hot in real life like she's like some crazy asian hybrid and it's amazing but like yeah she was she is mantis and to see her kind of finally get a spotlight it, i mean she's been great in the movies but kind of seeing her carry this one like rob said was great because she is she has this comedic timing and she's gotten like infinitely better at it because she was like a raw just like she wasn't at like juilliard you know what i mean like they kind of just plucked yeah. her off the street and we're like, yeah, you're just kind of naturally kind of, you know, strikingly good looking and kind of weird and, and quirky. And like, you're, you're, you're yeah. going to be good on camera. And they were right about that one. So, yeah, it's great to see her. That's all to say, like, and take center stage and like just little things like her, like Palm Klementov is really that scene and where Mantis is talking to the two cops in the upside down car. And she gives them like the candy cane. Yeah. And like, yeah, <laughs> she's like, and we're good, right? <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's really her. And so, like, yeah, it was it was great. And um, yeah, it, it's everything. This is just James Gunn's Guardians boiled down to like a distilled version of the formula. It's zany at times. It gets like, I mean, it's a Christmas story, so it never goes as far. But it's like it gets a little bit kind of raunchy, edgy. It's it has heartfelt moments. It's totally absurdist in like a lot of places, but like. It, it, there are parts that'll maybe make you tear up a little bit. And so like, you know, it's everything we expect from guardians in a Christmas special. And I can see people easily going back to this every year and just kind of throwing this on. And, uh, and like Rob said, it makes great use of Kevin Bacon, who is such a good sport in this and, you know, takes every line, like we hate you, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> like with just, yeah. you know, takes a great, does a lot of funny acting and can, totally hang with the guardians crew which is impressive in and of itself and uh yeah he and you know he, he proves something we didn't know which is that you know kevin bacon is equally good at on-screen running as tom cruise yeah that's true <laughs> yeah, i even thought of that um yeah well i guess i maybe i'm just in the holiday spirit because i just sort of enjoyed this a bit more as a one-off adventure and just sort of goofy excuse to like catch up with these characters than it sounds like you guys did. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling especially, you know, I'm back home from Canada and back in Denver and I'm with my family and stuff. So things like this are just hitting a bit different for me. This I find this year. Um, but I, I do see what you both are kind of saying. I mean, it, it really is sort of a Drax and Mantis, holiday special more than it is like the guardians of the galaxy holiday special um and the tethers it's quite short too it's like 45 minutes which you know i know for like a holiday special isn't necessarily short but for anything marvel related to be a one-off episode that's only like 45 minutes is is quite short so they don't get to cover a lot of ground in Wait, it. like um, short comparatively to what like TV episodes that are usually yeah, that I mean, it's like it's a standalone thing, one right? Other so, like, TV presentation that was also that length. 
Was it that length? I didn't know. I forgot. Yeah, Werewolf by Night was less than an hour. Yeah, it was pretty short too. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that's um, what these are. They're just they're yeah, like yeah. they're TV episodes that don't have an entire show built around them. So you basically yeah. are telling a short story to get back to our writing school it's days. It's one just, shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's I, a Marvel one shot basically. Yeah, I guess I feel like Werewolf by Night was a little bit more of like a complete sort of experience it, it, and story than spoiler. This was. It wasn't. He, in fact, it's quite like I got to check you again. It's quite the opposite because that threw us in the middle of a massive saga at this very pivotal point. Didn't really spell shit out for us. But but a good short story doesn't like it throws you in many yeah, a race yeah, yeah. and for you sure. and it implies a lot that you have to piece together from what's happening in that moment. And so Werewolf by Night was like a perfectly executed short story. Like you got yeah. in at this very pivotal thing that was very important. You had no idea about any of the shit that happened, but through the little sketches of dialogue and character stories and none of them stopped to be like, I started as a monster hunter in 1840. Like, but you just got <laughs> it through their fucking yeah. natural dialogue and interactions. Like, okay. Like all these things like, okay, there's a Marvel supernatural world. There's monster hunters. It's formalized. There's a whole league. It's fucking ancient. There are all kinds of fucked up monsters out there like that look like this, that and the other, you know, man thing and werewolf by night have been hanging out together and have formed some weird pack where they like hunt down monsters and like you get all that stuff. This is like yeah. what Rob said. It's just and like you said, it's just like it's a Guardians one shot. It's Guardians like 2.5. Right. And like, yeah. and so we get like kind of the developments after Guardians 2, but nothing too forward moving to spoil Guardians 3, but we catch up with them and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I don't have a problem with the length because I feel like all of them are going to be that length and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I, I guess I I say that it was a bit short for me just because I did want more of the characters that we associate with this group of people like Mantis and, but you're right. I mean, it is, it does fall into the category of kind of just a silly sort of spin off short story of a couple of the characters that are sort of tangentially related and they're well, misadventures. Showing your lack of comic knowledge. It is a one shot, which is in the Marvel tradition. Um, I mean, it does usually just focus on a couple characters. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, there is, I'm not, justifying all this by the way but i just want to make sure so you don't get dinged up on the internet later like yeah this is all <laughs> fitting with like marvel comic brand yeah does that work yeah. as on-screen live action entertainment is another matter yeah i i think i just found myself and this is where Maybe I differ. I just found myself sort of just smiling throughout the whole thing. And I, I guess maybe I just kind of needed that because I feel like a lot of the things that we've been watching and talking about lately, have I've been watching 1899 and we're coming out of like Wakanda forever and stuff like it was kind of just nice to sit down. I found myself this way a bit with Violent Night too, which, you know, you and I can talk about later where it just was sort of goofy fun. And this was goofy fun enough for me to be enjoying it throughout. Um, yeah, no. You keep but trying I, to like put no. me in with Rob, but uh, I, I think I'm more like with <laughs> on your side. I, I I think I clearly said that like I I just enjoy yeah, it, yeah. and I think it'll be annual. Like I think it'll be yeah, something yeah. that's good enough that people come back every year and just say, "Oh, yeah. let's watch the Guardians Christmas special again." Like, so I, I think I'm leaning more dude's... towards you. I'm just yeah. not. I like, love this dude's. No, no I'm sorry. I, right. I just don't think. Yeah. yeah okay. Go, here go. we go. 
Uh, I just was going to say, I don't think I get as jazzed about anything Marvel anymore, ex- unless yeah. it's like truly new. And I think the difference was Werewolf by Night was fucking new. Like that was so different than anything we've seen yeah. in Marvel. This is just more Guardians. And that's not a bad yeah, thing. Yeah. But it, I don't want to start a flame war, but you guys should know better than anybody that I've never been that high on the whole Guardians thing ever. I reviewed it for us. And I think I took a lot of shit because I don't think I rated it that high. Oh, man, we got to look this up now. I got to look this up. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, I think I said three and a half or four, and I think I got roasted for that. Because I didn't fucking score. That's like a minimum. Well, Ben would give him. Well, everybody was like, back then, all these kids were like, (laughs) oh, my God. All the kids who don't understand Star Wars and Andor now were the same kids who were like, (laughs) <laughs> this is <my> Star Wars. <laughs> I was like, oh lord. The first Guardians. Uh, I mean, the first. I mean, maybe we should revisit. Here we go. Here we go. Oh no, that's the mass database. You guys have written so much, so much since then. I can't fucking. Here we go. Oh yeah, you're never gonna find. Yeah, no, gonna I'll never fucking find it in there. Yeah, there we go. August first, twenty fourteen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Screenrant.com. Man, I would write long ass reviews. This is nuts. Yeah. You and I four used out of five. Yeah, you used to go really deep. Oh, well, hey, people give you shit out of four out of That's five, crazy. or is that one of we changed it? Yeah. Oh god, did you guys scrub all these comments? Oh, the cop. Well, yeah, they we changed the comment. Yeah, blame Ben for that. that. Hey, Liz, look, I held the I held back a lot of shit in my day <laughs> when I was there. The comments are uh, the comments are the least of the concerns. I'm like, can you guys archive them as we add them back one day? And you guys are like, no. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> up, until, up until they moved to the new CMS, I think you could have restored them because they were in WordPress still. All the comments were in WordPress, but once they oh, left WordPress bet. entirely. Cool. Um, this yeah. was a good thing, but uh, I mean, I did say some things. <laughs> some good points. What did you say? What was yeah. your, like, what was your, like, sub? Here, here, just go, just always go. If you want to know, just always go to the last paragraph. Fuck a, fuck a score. Here we go. In the end, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy may be a mixed bag as a cinematic work, but it's definitely another victory for Marvel Studios, which will likely be able to milk sequels and spinoffs galore out of what this <laughs> film started. Ah! <laughs> Marvel movie fans need to be wary that they're getting something a little different from what they may be used to, but for anyone coming to this property as a blank slate with little prior knowledge, Gunn and company have painted a fun, defining portrait of who these Guardians of the galaxy are colon a band of pretty awesome and lovable a-holes so there you go true the, so i'm looking at sam's wow. review of you sam's know what's gonna i was okay. gonna say hold but this is what i just want to make a point yeah all you influencers you know what twitter might go down wonder elon but this shit is still on the internet and you know, stands <laughs> the test of time yeah. wow the uh sandy gave the second one a 3.5 out of five Said Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's doubles down. That's fair. Yeah, doubles down. Yeah, on that's very fair. Audiences loves and still entertaining, but diminished returns. Um, yeah, bam, is, see? yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Wow, classic screen uh, rant. We, Kofi. Yeah. One thing I want to point out from what you were saying when you were talking about Palm and, and you're, I remember you interviewing here and telling these stories to us. Uh, but it's funny you saw that first because, well, I guess James can saw that when you cast her later as well. But like he emphasize that so much on set when we did the set visit for guardians Two, and when we met her she was still like learning the ropes and naive and she had to be like like literally the unit publicist was standing beside her and she had to check him 
on every single question what she could say. Uh, <laughs> imagine this. She's in costume for the first time too with like – except of course the um, antennae or like the, the little wires sticking out of her head. But yeah. uh, that was a gnarly first uh, first time experience yeah. with someone like that. But she was like – like you said, IRL actually emotes and reacts and expresses like Mantis on screen. So what a impressive and outlandish casting that's turned out to be amazing, yeah. right? So. She, uh, yeah, I mean, she is definitely one of the high points, if not probably the high point. Like Drax has some funny, some funny bits in this for sure. Um, his obsession with the little elf guy is kind of funny, and you know when he's talking about Kevin Bacon, he's like, "Oh, gross! He's an actor, and we hate actors." Like their <laughs> their little funny. kind of, you know, it's almost kind of like toddler esque, you know, reactions to things in in the way that when they're sort of confronted with some of the realities of Christmas in their little misadventure, I think is pretty, is pretty fun, but, but I agree. I mean, it is definitely just like goofy shtick. Like there's not a lot. Um, there's not a lot to it. Did we, I mean, speaking about the spoiler that you guys kind of mentioned earlier, did we not, did we know, I couldn't even remember like half of what happened at the end of guardians of the galaxy two. Did we know that she was his sister? I think I think I think I think we did. I don't know if that was expressed may explicitly within yeah. the story. I mean, I think Ego had adopted many. Yeah, yeah. it was never established. Many I, kids, yeah. but it was weird. This weird thing where like everybody kind of I don't know if we got Mandela at some point, but like everybody collectively like assumed like yeah that dude was running around the universe fucking and he was. I thought it was just like this not even heavy thing that he was. She was one of his many kids that he collected from many worlds that he had been right. fucking like, yeah. and I just thought like, yeah, I, I, so I was kind of weirded out. Cause like when that happened and I was screening it, I was just like, uh, I was like, wait, what is that a thing? Like, yeah, I thought we yeah. knew that, but apparently never said was established. Yeah, because the way that it's like placed in this, she specifically says, "Oh, you know, because of the big secret I have that I haven't told anybody." And like, it's like I was like, "Oh shit, there's a there's like a secret here." Like, and I was thinking it was going to have some tether to like Guardians of the Galaxy three or something. And it was like, I, when she said, "Well, because I'm his sister," I was like, "I thought we knew that." Like, and that you could just like you said, Kofi, kind of assume that most people would think that. Like, there's, like Peter has a fucking million different siblings probably around the the galaxy. Yeah, I mean that whole collage with the moving pictures and shit. Yeah, like, I mean yeah, it yeah. shows him going like a bunch of alien races, and it's just like, yeah, uh, because now I'm like retroactively trying to remember like what did they want us to think in Guardians Two? Wait, wait, wait! In Guardians Two, don't we see like all those like fucking remains of of the other children, like the skulls? Yeah, and shit? yeah, yeah. Yeah. I so, yeah, and the, that was the whole thing too. Is like he. Like ego had kind of presented it as though like Peter's mom was special to him, you know, and Peter had always thought that like she was sort of special to him. And then he kind of comes to find out that like ego doesn't view anybody as special, right? Like even most of his own children that he sacrificed in order to, you know, do whatever the fuck he was doing. I forget what he was doing at the end of that movie, but become all powerful or whatever. Guess I made up the subplot that he had only not killed this one child, Mantis, because of her powers. That could help yeah. him, you know, get get <laughs> more, yeah, facilitate. Yeah. And, and basically, he had just kind of, and that was like another sign of how kind of how twisted he was that he had just consigned yeah. one of his children into helping him like consume all these other ones. And 
Yeah. And I thought this was all some Greek god shit. And like, and I was just like, yeah. oh, that makes sense. But yeah. now I just think I've been Mandela again. So, you know. Yeah, we man, just whatever we fuck, wrote man. another movie. RIP <laughs> to that timeline. You gotta yeah. rewatch those, man. I, I actually, yeah. Um, actually, Guardians 2, I don't think I ever rewatched. I think I've only seen it the one time in theater. But, I've rewatched um, it twice. It's there. There's some really great, yeah. ironically, Visual like effects. it is, yeah, visually, it is like one of James Gunn's, maybe his best film visually. Like that sequence with Rocket taking on all those dudes on the planet is fucking. Oh, yeah. That was good. Yeah. Also, like they did a really cool, that's where they really delved into like the hyperspace travel element and like warping through those things. And there's some really yeah. cool <laughs> There's there. so many good visuals. Oh, the visuals yeah. on, Mary, yeah. on Mary Poppins, the whole fight with Ego was actually one of Marvel's like crazier cool. better fights like looking wise um, yeah yeah there's a lot of good stuff in guardians too but there's also just kind of like it is just it just didn't have the spirit of the first one like they were just kind of there yeah just like yeah. uh i think this sums it up i you guys probably saw this quote going around this is from james gunn's interview with thr he says i'll be honest i wrote the screenplay in a few hours so just kind of spill out of me it was very easy everything about <laughs> shooting this was easy Everything about getting the performances out of people was easy, whereas Volume Three was torture in every way. <laughs> so well, looking forward to that one. Side project it was fun. So basically, they fucking the Ocean Twelved it. Yeah. So all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense though. Um, That's yeah. Before before we move on, there are some there are some like little um, canonical bits we can kind of delve into very quickly. Obviously, at the end, we see Nebula give Rocket what he's always wanted, which is Bucky's yeah. arm. Yep. Uh, which raises some questions because we see all, it's obviously in the concept art for Thunderbolts. Uh, <laughs> and, and we'll ask him about that. He's been, James Gunn has been very like uh, open about talking about making this and answering questions. But to this, he said like two quotes I pulled <laughs> from what he said. Uh, one fan was like, how, how does Nebula even have this? And he says, she took a trip to earth and tore it off his body because she was feeling so Christmassy. Then someone else asked him a few days later and he responds, uh, I'm not sure how a cyborg with advanced alien technology tearing off a human's arm because of an overabundance of Christmas spirit is forced inclusion. But now it's canon. Sorry. <laughs> like, he just doesn't care. <laughs> uh, I love it. So anyways, I wonder if they're ever going to touch on that or if they just don't care anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. That's funny. He'll yeah. figure it out in four years. Yeah, he'll figure it out in four years when he's back from DC. He'll be like, did you guys figure yeah. out that arm thing? I think that's his private <laughs> joke. He just did that to them because... He, he just fucking had rocket. He probably wrote that shit into Infinity War himself. Yeah, yeah. Like, Kevin Feige's like, "What did you do?" <laughs> he was like, "No." He's like, he'd be like, "You know what?" They were like, "James, what do you think about this scene?" You know, what would be really funny if Rocket had like this moment with Bucky, because you know what happened in the first Guardians. It's just to be a funny joke, and then he's just like, <laughs> and later on, he's just like, <laughs> "Fucking." He was probably just it's like that was Rocket speaking as James Gunn. He was just like, "I'll get that on." Yeah, I get that shit. <laughs> the Guardian uh, of the Galaxy yeah. Holiday Special. Boom. Yeah. A few um, other notable things. Uh, well, they're on Nowhere, which is like the hollowed out celestial head we saw in the first movie. It's a big, it's their base of operations in the comics. In this, they explain that they own this thing now and are rebuilding it after purchasing yeah. it from the collector. the collector. And they also confirm the collector is alive. So that's some interesting Infinity War uh, follow up. Um, and also on the canon front, Kingo from Eternals, everyone's favorite MCU movie, is, I guess, back on Earth because there's two movie posters for two different movies uh, yeah. of his character appearing as a And they're movie. in L.A., in L.A., no yeah, less. Yeah. So, 
more lore. I guess Eternals 2, if that ever happens, can explore that. Please, God, no. <laughs> just throw uh, the Eternals, like, the Eternals should just show up for, like, events. Like, which, yeah, uh, I think, yeah. Have them make a big entrance as the last stand against Kang and then watch them get all annihilated and must be done with it. Okay. Except for Kingo. Is Harry Styles going to show up then? And I don't know. Uh, I mean, if they're darn worthy, darling, I don't know. Oof. Yeah. That scene in yeah. him crying in the car was rough. <laughs> that was never rough. gonna watch it. I'll never see it. Um, the, oh, you haven't seen Don't Worry, Darling? Yeah, I explained oh, in our podcast about that. I'm never I'm never gonna watch it, ever. Oh, but I I mean I didn't know about like the whole twist. Once you get to see the twist now, now you really get it. It's kind of more up your alley once you know the twist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay, I can't take it over. <laughs> the, uh, I got beef in that movie, so all which right. uh, okay? Which song did you like more? Before we go on, the Alien song or Kevin Bacon? None song? of them. Oh, that <laughs> was weird. That's James Gunn's yeah. friends. I, not my music. Yeah, I mean that was some. I mean there was a lot in this. That's some self-indulgent LA actor. I mean the Ocean Two Point Five. Some of this, some of this. Like there is some self-indulgent LA shit in this. Like don't just get oh, Kevin Bacon. Hollywood block of flame sh- or fame shit. Where like. I could like that is one of the longest sequences in the entire thing. <laughs> it's just people taking yeah. pictures with them. Oh, true. Yeah, that. Um, just I'm sure that bar is like something James Gunn knows and like loves. Um, just the yeah. whole yeah. But I'm just talking about like not just getting Kevin Bacon to play himself, but also letting him express his whole musical side with the you know the Bacon Brothers band <laughs> and all that. Like yeah. it's just like yeah, yeah. Just like man. It must yeah. be good once you have this money and this acting cred just to be able to do what the fuck you want. <laughs> you know, good for you guys. Yep. But uh, yeah, there was there's some of that. I I mean, as it was James Gunn, it all fit the music and the Sonics and all that was fitting. But like, yeah. I, I'm kind of I think Rob mentioned it earlier. Like, it is starting to feel like a shtick, and I think the Guardians actors are smart to kind of get in and get out for the most part. I think people like Palm can stick around and maybe this was a showcase to show for, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this was James Gunn, like, and them to be, you know, giving her an additional kind of audition reel for Feige and them to be like, yeah, Mantis could stick around and do some great stuff like in the franchise later. But I mean, Pratt, um, you know, Pratt, well, uh, Saldana Batista, and Batista are like, Saldana, fuck this, they hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Saldana's um, like basically, I mean, Saldana's basically out already. Like, you know, they yeah, can just she, do something to wrap them up. I mean, she was like talking about that this past week, right? That she feels like the last decade of her career has been Probably less fulfilling or whatever because she's just been yeah. doing franchise stuff. Yeah. Um, this is true. Colombiana, uh, too. Well, is that franchise? <laughs> I think I mean yeah, I guess. She, at this she point, needs to get with Britney and do that sequel. Come on, guys. Cross yeah. what was it called? <laughs> Crossroads. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah was was she that. in that? Yeah, I believe I believe I she's the black girl in that. Oh man. I, it. I yeah, I don't know if I ever actually saw Crossroads. Um that's funny. Dude. I had a college girlfriend, so I did. Yeah, you saw it. Um, I was in high school when that came out. I remember that. But okay. yeah, the okay. So you guys want to talk Andor? Yeah. Okay. So Crossroads is 
listen to this lineup. So the three main girls in the movie are Britney Spears, Zoe Saldana, and Taryn Manning was the third girl. (laughs) Also starring in this film was Anson Mount, Kim Cattrall, and Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) Dan Aykroyd? Oh, yeah, yeah, because Dan Dan Aykroyd was like one of their parents, like her dad or something in that, right? Oh, yeah. Anton Mount was the guy. He was like the guy in the movie. Justin Long's in it. Man, that's crazy. What's what's the year of release? When did that come out? 2002? 2002. Yeah. 2002. 20 years ago. Shit, we old. That's nuts. Right? Wasn't she was in? Like, was she Orange is the New Black? Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Last time she was in, really? I'm looking, but that's so yeah, it's so hilarious. Stuff. Yeah, man, that's funny. Britney Spears, Zoe Saldana, and Taryn Manning. <laughs> like those are not three people that like phone each other up now just to like catch up and see how each other has been either. Like when and you think so about that movie, it's like weird. three best friends. Like when, yeah. It's so weird yeah, because, well, like, you <laughs> also think, like, when you look at this, for some reason, I forget. What did Tara Manning? I, she had also been in something, like, before. She was in Eight Mile. Black. Yeah. Yeah, she was in Eight Mile. No, wait. Isn't that Brittany? That was Brittany Murphy. No, well, she was, too. But I'm pretty sure uh, she was, yeah, she was one of the. No, Hustle and Flow. Movie. and She was in Hustle oh, and okay, Flow yeah. in 2005. Okay, that was later, though. Yeah. No, all right. Yeah, no. So I guess Crossroads was one of the thing that she had done. Oh no, she was in Crazy Beautiful with uh, which um, with what's her name? Uh, fucking Kirsten Dunst. Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean Taryn Manning in Eight Mile, she was the ex girlfriend. So she was yeah. the Kim equivalent or whatever. And yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, she did that. Man, that was her year, 2002. She did yeah. Eight Mile and Crossroads. Yeah. Still both classics. <laughs> God damn, both with enter- like with musical entertainers. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. I don't know where we are right now, but like this is all interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but like my point was like you look at that lineup in like you would think like back in 2002, do you look up and be like, okay, like, you know, Britney Spears is already a star. They'll probably make this other girl who's like not Britney, kind of like Britney Spears probably be a star and like black girlfriend will probably do something on BET. Right. And you're like, yeah. it'll be all good. That's like your 2002 prediction for how this all turns out. And now you look in like fucking Zoe Saldana's and goddamn guardians of the galaxy about to be in avatar two and shit. <laughs> Biggest and like, movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Britney Spears <laughs> just finally got away from her dad and like Taryn Manning <laughs> has been like tearing it up on TV. Like, so yeah. You know, That's kids, so you never know in showbiz. Like, it's fucking nuts. Because in 2002, yeah. shit was way different. Yeah, Britney Spears could have had those two girls and, you know, disappeared in a trunk and nobody would have said shit, you know? Like, <laughs> who would have known? Yeah. And now, crazy. like, yeah. I can't believe we spent now, the last 15 minutes talking fucking about that happened today. <laughs> James Cameron will be, like, in a submarine getting her out of that fucking car at the bottom of the river, like, in two seconds. <laughs> Um, you guys want to talk about Andor? She hells yeah. I mean, might as well. Shit. We talked about crossroads. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we now have to talk at least 10 minutes about Andor because we can't possibly have talked longer about crossroads. I don't even need 10 minutes. I mean, I can just do this. Look, man, I'll sum this up. I got my parents to watch Andor. 
and it was funny as shit because I had to go pick up my son from their house and they were, or no, no, no. It was the night before Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. I just made up a story. Um, I, it was the night before Thanksgiving. I was storing my Turkey cause they have a big freezer at, or refrigerator at their house. And I went to go get it cause I had to smoke it the next day. And I walked in on them and, it, and they were just in their room, sitting on their bed, watching and or in their bedroom. And they were in like three quarters through the second episode. And I just saw their faces when I walked in. And I was like, okay. And I just sat down. I was like, you have questions. I was like, go. Just like go. And so yeah. they started going. <laughs> my parents were so they were funny. They were just between the two of them. <laughs> my parents are up there in like their upper, you know, mid to upper 70s. And the, between the two of them, they were just trying to piece together. They were like, okay, so is like the little boy connected to him because, and I was like, because, come on. And they were like, is that him? And I was like, yes, that's him. And my parents both have PhDs, by the way, so they're not like they're not, yeah, they're like not lightweight idiots. intellectuals. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're not lightweight, you know, in terms of intelligence. So like they were like, okay, okay, I think we're getting this. And I was just like, look, I was like, just get to episode four, all right? I was like, just keep going, get to episode four, and then tell me how you feel. Come back on like, see my dad. So that's Wednesday. I come back and see my dad on. Sunday or Saturday, he's like, Oh my God. He's like in the middle of the prison arc. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay. And then I was like, wow. And then I come and I talk to him on Sunday or he texts me on Sunday and me and my brothers. And he's just like, I finish Andor. he was like, wow. He was like, what a show. He was like, that was amazing. And I was just like, did you watch the post credit scene? And he's like, what? And he just like left and he dropped out and he came back like an hour later. He was like, <laughs> oh man, oh man. That post credit scene got a lot of people too, because I didn't see it with the screeners. I didn't even think to watch it. Same I started yeah, yeah. to watch the credits because I was so blown away by the finale and I was just sitting there stunned out of my mind. I was just like, oh shit, that was crazy. And I was like, and I saw the credits rolling and they're long ass credits. I mean, and they do it right at the end. And yeah. I was just like, oh, I should fast forward and check. And I was like, oh, but there's like Tony Gilroy's not doing anything like that. I was like, Tony Gilroy isn't doing a fucking post credit scene. And I just like dipped and like left. And then people just started, my phone started blowing up with other industry people being like, yo, what the fuck? That post credit scene. Oh shit. One of the best ever. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and then yeah. people were like, and they were like, and people asking me like, yo, can you prep something for this? Can you write something about this? And I'm like, write something about what? And they were like, yeah. oh shit. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, but I'm glad I didn't see it. Cause I mean, that's one of those things that I think it was so much better to see on my big kind of like 4k yeah, TV, like TV. really yeah. see it. Like, yeah. And yeah, this Rob's right. Like screeners don't do shit because I loved Andor and I watched most of it in screeners and it was always, it hit so much different when I saw it on the fucking TV screen. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the watch. only show I've actually made time to rewatch each episode because of that. And oh, I did yeah. the same thing with you, man. I didn't see the finale post credit scene and I went back I rewatched this like the space sequence with Luthen in episode 11. And then I went to watch the post credit scene for episode 12 and I was like, man, this shit plays well on the big screen. Oh yeah, that, uh, was, that scene with Luther that you guys were talking about too was was great for sure. You guys teed that up, I think, the week that it was coming out. Um, mm, that sure. was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best um, uh, fucking space battles in Star Wars, man. 
That shit, just that <laughs> yeah. whole sequence of how that plays out. And you're just like, oh, shit. And the, the closing shot of the captain of that cruiser just like staring at the window. He's like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. He's in so much trouble. Yeah. Uh, Oh man! Um, but um, yeah, and and okay, but like, all right. So we're supposed to frame up a kind of Andor. I've already said like the finale was just so good. I mean, for me, there was just so much shit in there. I was ready to riot against the Empire in real life, like right now. Like, yeah. I mean, it was just rousing, and it it really tied. I don't think anything since the original Star Wars movie has actually tied the high lore of star Wars to like real socio-political feeling in a way that's very kind of, uh, let's see. I mean, I don't want to say uh, palpable is not like the royal world, but like visceral and kind of emotional and makes you feel like it's doing what good sci-fi should do, which is help you deal with the real world and how fucked up it is. Um, yeah, for sure. And how scary some shit is. And, you know, I think Andor did a good job of probably drafting quite a few revolutionaries to be like, man, shit's going to get real in my fucking time. But like, I might have to beat somebody with a brick made from my dead mom. Like, you know, like <laughs> shit gets, might get that real, but like, you know, <laughs> but you got to do it. Like, and it, it yeah. instead of making you think like you need to be this like epic hero to, to affect change and do stuff it makes you kind of confront the reality that like, yes, fighting revolutions and having rebellions is often just people like in this show did a very good job of like always showcasing the amount of people who have just like laid down their lives, like making, you know, and do scenes with like some key people who are just going to get shot in crowds, whether it's right. like in the prison or during the heist or in that final kind of, uh, rick's road or whatever the fuck it's called um like you know the guy who jumped on somebody's back and he gets blasted like the camera like they did this very good job of weaving these tiny little stories in of just like people you only see for like a minute in a scene in each setting or in the case of the heist you got to know a little bit better and then killing them off in not like in weird high drama ways but just like while shit's happening and they're dead and it's gone and like shit keeps moving but yeah. like their sacrifice and just making the point, like this is what it takes. Like not everybody makes it to the heroic story. Some people just get laid down their lives while the shit goes down just to get the one small step forward. Right. Like yeah. how many of those dudes got shot down that we knew in the prison before they all got out of there. Cause quite a few yeah. died in that assembly line floor. So I mean, yeah. and kind of making you deal with that reality of things. And this is what it takes to fight. Like, you know, fascist oppression is, I think, one of the most fundamental accomplishments that, you know, we've gotten from TV in this time, because it's not just escapist entertainment, it is actually saying something timely and kind of like relevant and confronting, you know, scary things that are in the back of a lot of people's minds right now. So, you know, for sure. Goddamn fucking Star Wars, man. Star Trek ain't doing this shit yet. Yeah, I'm just kidding. It doesn't Rob, have to be one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all love Strange New Worlds. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll keep reiterating myself all fucking day because I've been. This is since we talked about it way back when. Always been my most anticipated uh, Star Wars project of the ten or twelve they announced for Disney Plus and such. Uh, and Rogue One is my favorite Disney era movie. This is obviously my favorite Disney era Star Wars show. Um, I'll, I'll just say the basics again. I mean, this this delivers more Star Wars for me than all of the other Disney Plus stuff. And I, I think I described it as the, the, for me the only premium and prestige product we've seen from Disney Plus. I think it's the only one that earns that label. Um, it's partly because of these rich characters, like true characters that are more interesting, even in five minutes of screen time, than some you know lightsaber wielding rando Jedi appearing as a gimmick in Mandalorian or something. And I like Mandalorian, so. Um, but it's legitimately emotional, and and I get my emotional bits certainly from. We just talked about the Guardian special, and the end note there is a bit of emotional, and there are bits in like Hawkeye or Wandavision that are deeply emotional as well. But it's not the same. This is through and through carrying those those emotions and, and stronger emotions and uh real stakes that's what it comes down to but also and kofi talks about this a lot is how this show is structured with these very distinct story arcs which is unusual um for what they do in disney plus um and what's interesting about what it's doing as well and i felt the same way about rogue one is the way this show plays out so far in season one when you follow Luthen and Mon Mothma and Cassian, of course, even saw Guerrero's appearances, um, even seeing two tubes back with him. Um, it's improving some and fleshing out elements of Rogue One, the same way Rogue One and the book Catalyst help flesh out and improve upon the original Star Wars. And Hell the flaw, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The flaws of the Death Star, why those things happened the way they did. And this is like filling in that. And you'd think we, we would have made fun of this a couple of years ago. It's like, oh my God, they have to explain every little thing. No, but you can improve or add to these things. And that's what the show, that's what makes the show different than some of the other Star Wars products yeah. we've seen. And even one some of the Star Wars books we've seen. Yeah. By far one of the best uses of the prequel format I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I'm 100%. obsessed with it because Star Wars is an obsession to me. And in my own, like, my own fiction writings now, like, I'm still obsessed with that structure of, like, Star Wars. You do, you write something, and then you write a prequel, then you write a sequel. And, but, like, in... It, I mean, George Lucas did kind of change storytelling in that way because I feel like people do make movies and still Im- ape that a lot. But yeah. this series, more than anything else that I've ever seen, has understood what like a, what a prequel is can do and to kind of really reframe and reshape your understanding of you know what you saw with that first piece of content. And like I was trying to explain this and. Uh, on the uh, wonderful show Comic Book Nation, we I told this story about my neighbor, who's this dad, um, who are my son and his daughter are friends, and there are like you know there are cul-de-sac you know neighbor friends and kids play with, and so like the first day he so he's a big Star Wars nut, he's a science teacher, and uh, he came up to me the first day he came out and we always talk Star Wars and he came up to me and he came across the line. He saw me and he was like, Hey man, I saw Andor." And I was like, Oh yeah. You know, what do you think? And he was like, it's okay, but it definitely needs a baby Yoda. And like my face, like did this <laughs> thing. Dream. Where, yeah. Like, and I started to like get into it with him, but luckily my wife was there like at the time. And she just <laughs> gave me like the wifely, like you guys know, Allison by now, like, knows when to just give me this like kind of code signal to be like yo man like like pare it down for 
public sake and socialization sake, like just chill out. Yeah. This isn't a debate. Um, and I was just like, all right, you know, and I just kind of let it go and I just laughed it off. And then the next day I went on the podcast and just blasted him <laughs> like by name, <laughs> like, and, and respectfully, but in a respectfully, in a respectful way. I'm yeah. saying like I, I, I addressed him by name cause I know he, he probably listens to some of the stuff I do. And I was just like, you know, but I totally went off on the thing about how much I disagreed with that. And, um, I was talking to him about the ending now because I just saw him. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Wes. And uh, we and I was just talking to him today. You know, we were talking about the end real quick when I was coming home. And uh, he hadn't seen the post-credit scene yet. I will say that. But uh, or no, he did see it. And he was just blown away by it. And he was just saying how much he really kind of loved the show. And he loved the finale, but he was just talking about how much he didn't like the 11th episode. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait, you didn't love the 11th episode. And he was just like, no, like, you know, the fight was cool and all that, like with the aerial thing, you know, with Luthen, but he was like the ending. He was just like, you know, I, if I hear my mom die, like I'd be sad too. I don't need to like, but that's just not like a good ending. And I was like, dude, did you, or, and, or no, he said, I would be sad, but if I was on a beach, like I would feel a lot better about it if I was in a, like a beach resort. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, dude, you know, like why they did that. Right. And he was, and yeah. I explained to him like the whole thing, like, you know, he's looking at this ocean and this sunset or sunrise, whichever one it is. I'm never sure. They never really say, but um, in rogue one, like, that's the last thing he sees on the beach. And he says to Jin Erso, like your father would have been proud of you is like the last thing he says to her. Right. And he's looking out of the ocean and what this show does is this is a very kind of case specific point of how good this show is, is because that moment at the end of episode 11, and I legitimately was like, I will say like, I was just teary eyed at that because I was just like, man, that's so fucked up. That because when yeah. he's hears that his mom dies and he's looking out the ocean, you realize that in Rogue One, like that's what he was thinking about in those last yeah. moments. And when he yeah, says man. to her, like, your dad would have been proud of you, it's actually kind of like psychological projection. Like, because yeah. what he's really thinking about is that Marva is proud of him because he yeah. finally he did like did this thing yeah. that was like a real rebellion thing. And that shit's so Again, once you've spent enough time with his characters and you get to know who Marva Andor is in like all that stuff that she meant to him and why he became a rebel spy in the first place, like that shit's so deep and like powerful from like bonds between you and your parents and things like that, that like Star Wars deals a lot with the bonds between parents and children and like legacies of things carried on to children, but not like this, you know what I mean? And so like yeah. When I told him about that, he was like just that fucking gif from The Wire, <laughs> like the guy coming out. <laughs> Which, if nobody knows what that gif is, that guy—it's an amazing gif because it's at the end of The Wire. It's like one of the very last things in the season. They arrest this guy named Weebay, who in the show is this total sociopath. Like, I mean, a complete sociopath. He killed like everybody. He was a guy who would always—he was a trigger man who would like kill anybody. And so, like, at the end, the cops finally get everything they need on him after all this time of chasing him, and they arrest him, and that's how they arrest him. And he's smart enough to know that, like, when he comes out that day, that it's a setup, and he's surrounded, and he's just like, oh, shit. Like, 
oh, like they yeah. finally like get me, which is hilarious if you've never seen The Wire because then they take him and interrogate him and to save the rest of the crime syndicate, he just confesses to every murder while he's just like and eating an endless series of like bad prison sandwiches. And if they keep bringing him sandwiches, he'll keep talking. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, um, that's that gift. But uh, yeah, that's how my neighbor was. Yeah. What did you, uh, anything else you want to add, Rob? I mean, Kofi's uh, talking about a bunch of shit. That, that, I mean, I'll say that the moment that you're talking about on the beach is one of the things that really resonated with me just because, you know, we've all talked about it. We love Rogue One. Um, and I know Rob is a huge, you know, proponent of that movie and, and everything. But um, that, the you know, when I was thinking of this was going to be like a prequel, and I, I said, you know, Andor like wasn't a character that I cared all that much about, you know, previously, which I know was different than your guys's take on on Rogue One. But um, like it really has successfully kind of served as a good prequel to that show by being or to that movie by being its own thing, but drawing these like emotional connections like it doesn't all have to be story connections, even though some of it is. It really is just like the parallels and the the kind of jazz that they're playing there. I've, I've really appreciated it because it's very subtle, but it's very meaningful. Um, I, I've dug it, it a lot for sure. It even made the shitty Saul Guerrero cameo in rogue one, like 10 times better. Yeah. Right? Sure. Just, yeah. That's which is so hard parts. to do, which is yeah. so hard to do. Cause that was such a, <laughs> that was like, we all were like, is there some part of a longer movie where Saul Guerrero was supposed to be like, really in this yeah. and then just like got cut out or something because this felt so weird and like truncated, but like now you begin to see it and even through season one, you can see where they're going to go like, or why he became so like paranoid and kind of crazy and stuff like yeah. that after dealing with people like Luthen and shit like that. And like how he got <laughs> like on or why, like he could never kind of reconcile with people like Mon Motha and shit like that. Like, yeah, like it becomes much more intriguing. And so, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That yo, that reminds me of one of the funniest fucking scenes in the show. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like when Luthen confronts him like the second time or whatever, right? And and this is the best Sagarer moment of the franchise. And like they're they're, it really justifies the extremist cell he's created and, and his role in Rogue One. But like when Saw's questioning Luthen, like how do you know all this shit? And Luthen just straight straight out calls out the dude is inside source. <laughs> yeah, and the guy pulls up his arms. He's like, "What the fuck, man!" <laughs> yeah. That is such a great scene. Oh, oh man! Holy yeah. accident. I wonder if like Saw killed that dude after. But um, <laughs> but, but man, uh, like, yeah. Let me just highlight some Whitaker, but just like in just like Forrest Whitaker and Stellan Skarsgård in a scene together, who are just both such fucking fantastic actors, and just that whole scene is just so good of like yeah. how people go nuts in espionage and shit. Like you know, yeah. like what can you trust? Like, wait, you're gonna serve him up? Like, would you serve me up? Like, why are you telling me this? Like, yeah. only because I know what you look like? Like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> just like, just, like Luther is so good. Like, just, just like we're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, man, it's so funny because he was, to be honest, and I may have said this before on the podcast. He, he was like the one thing I was unsure about. To me, he just feels so. I don't want to say typecast, but you just kind of know the type of characters he. But I didn't think he was a fit, to be honest. But when you see him in the first couple episodes and he first recruits Andor, I'm like, oh boy, no, this is something different. And and then that like 
stepped up a few levels since then. But like before we like move on, let me like highlight a few things because I love like, and I always say the same things: production design, the real world sets, the the bit players. Like this show is operating on another level in every possible way, right? Like it's the and for a show that's like so based on a lot of real sets and real character work. You're still getting like the celestial vent on Aldani. You're still getting the crazy space sequence in episode eleven, or the the post credit shot of the Death Star construction, like, and then some cool blaster sequences. Like, you're still getting that, and even that stuff is better than all the other Star Wars shows. But there are things on paper I would have never thought would ever work, given the quality of Star Wars stuff lately. Like, think of what how much how many scenes we got of of like the static room of the Imperial Security Bureau. And meeting a character like Deidre, just rando junior imperial officer, and of course they partner her with uh, what's his face, the you know um, the guy from Game of Thrones, Anton Lesser from Game of Thrones. He plays the, the major, right? Like like amazing casting, and there are so many sequences. And the same can be said for Genevieve O'Reilly's Mom Mothma, just in three sets the entire show at her house in the politics room or going to Luthen's little collection. It's all dialogue driven yes and it's talking it's game of thrones it's talking and it's still exactly and it does it so much better like those moments does it so much better than anything else uh, i keep saying disney plus but you know this puts this up there with the best shows on all of the streamers which is why i enjoyed this so much more than house of the dragon and, and even lord of the rings which i really enjoyed as well but um but then, then take it back a level look at the bit players in these sequences look at the planet ferrix or even the Suicide Squad members on Aldani, really, right? Or the, the prisoners on Arcana 5. Like, characters that come out of fucking nowhere, two-thirds into the show, and they get a three-episode arc, and you're like, holy fuck, this is like a movie on its own, right? And none yeah. of these people are anything of consequence. Of course, they headline it with Andy Circus, but you know how that ends. And it's like, what a fucking random tangent in this random tangential show that still is better than everything we got from Star Wars in the last 10 years. Isn't that fucking crazy? Like, holy <laughs> shit, Tony Gilroy and everybody else. I'll take it a step further than what you're saying because I thought you were going to get there, but no, I not know. one bit player, not one person who shows up on screen is wasted in this show. Exactly. Looks at, like, looks at, look what they did with Bix and Brasso or the fucking droid. B2 Emo is still the best droid in Star Wars now. Like, like, one oh, kid, man. somebody called Bruno Mars, the guy who built the bomb. Yes, the bomber. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bomber. <laughs> like That kid was just in the background. Like Everybody you met on Ferrix, everybody you met in those first three arcs when you were like, oh, this is boring. It's just them walking around Ferrix and it's just – you know, and or hustling around Ferrix and meeting this person or that person. The guy who takes all the communications calls, Brasso, um, Bix, the guy who runs the shipyard where he steals the ships and lets him steal the ships and bring them back all the time with the dogs, Same. you know, like every single fucking person who got a shot or definitely who got a line in this show ended up mattering in all of those yes. arcs. Everybody in the prison, everybody on the, even all the imperial officers who got wasted on Aldani. Like everybody, you're so right. And what a ma- it's an ensemble of ensembles of of, char- or of not the most famous actors. A lot of them recognizable, sure, but like what a massive fucking production. And now I love seeing it online and Twitter. You're seeing a lot of it. All the concept art from like four or five years ago, and so much of those are like shot for shot adapted into live action. That is what planning and talent behind the writing team does and this is like what a far cry from the from the fucking saga f- latest trilogy of films which i increasingly hate over the years um 
man, I, I, I can't get enough of this. It's a shame that we're only getting one more season because, like, I hope Diego Gilroy can do some other Star Wars shit because I almost don't want to see the other stuff <laughs> compared to this. And that's crazy because we have Ahsoka coming up, right? But, um, yeah. I man. think there was a uh, lot of what Last Jedi tried to do that was kind of along these lines, which was <laughs> – it, but Last Jedi held up the fucking toy heroes and said, "Yeah, these aren't these aren't so great." It's just well, and or kind of that movie. I can't handle it, but yeah, and or kind of just said no. The the it's because but there is that opening sequence because what Andor made me think about again was that opening sequence to uh, Last Jedi, which is the whole Rube Goldberg machine of how they have to use all those bombers to take down the dreadnought, and it's yeah. all about like. You know, Rose's sister who kind of like falls out of the thing. And, but it's all about these regular people who have to fucking sacrifice themselves to get this one kind of mission thing. And then it opens up into a debate with Leia of, is that worth it? Is that not worth it? But that shit that heroes and, and legends can debate while the fucking actual people have to fight and kind of die. Do it. Yeah. 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 Um, and that movie kind of says, oh, well, we have to just live and survive and keep the things we love alive. Yeah, but Andor's like, nah, fuck that. A lot of people can probably die, but we got to keep fucking fighting. And like, it's different. Yeah. But um, there's some things they tried to do with that in Last Jedi, but they got spanked for that. And so then we got Last uh, Skywalker <laughs> or Rise of Skywalker instead of Duel of the, something like Duel of the Fates, which was dope as shit. Yeah, it's but, um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we we've, we've talked previously about just what a mess the Star Wars universe has been like lately, and all the wasted potential. And I think what's cool, what really by the end of this excited me was this is almost exactly the kind of it's still a little bit more connected to the original trilogy and stuff than you know, I think stories in the Star Wars universe necessarily need to be. I still just want a story that exists in the Star Wars universe that has nothing to do with anything that we've ever seen, just because there's so many different stories that you could tell in those, in these universes. Nah, but this, man, I feel like you kidding me. The guy who stole the Death Star plans and secured the help secure the victory for Luke and them got killed by the Death Star that he helped build. That shit is <laughs> yeah. fucking nuts. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, I, 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 I like this. I'm not saying that, you know, they shouldn't, they should have done something else. I, I like this a lot. And what I was saying is, you're saying like, solo this is, too. I get it. You want solo yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I do. Me I too, want solo too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. I do actually. And you didn't know how Chewbacca got his name too. But I, <laughs> like, I, this is the closest that it's been to being kind of disconnected, I feel like. Like, even though it's all still really connected, it's like, these were almost entirely all new characters with the exception of like Mon Mothma and like a couple other people like Saw and stuff. And on planets that weren't desert planets that, you know, we've seen a million times or look like places we've seen a million times. Like it just felt like we finally got to see kind of a bit more of the universe of the Star Wars universe. And that was really exciting to me. And I, I just, I really, I swear to God, I hope they learn the necessarily lessons from this whole thing, you know, which is we don't need, we don't need Skywalkers all the time and we don't need, you know, CGI cameos of all these characters that we've already, you know, sold toys with and, you know, we're all familiar with and stuff like that. Like give me new character. I would buy an Andy circus toy tomorrow over half of the shit that we've, you know, got yeah, over the sure. last decade. 
dovetailing and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I wanted to get into that next. So let's just bridge it with what you're saying here. Yeah. And yeah, Star Wars and Lucasfilm needs to learn the lesson and the right lessons. Like, let's not let's cut the bullshit. You don't have to do this kid friendly stuff. You don't have you can make Star Wars adult content as well as kid content. My son isn't going to watch Andor like I'm going to watch Andor. And you know what, uh, though? It can be me and my son together who enjoy b- buying a BTEMO. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anybody. It, I don't think kids are going to have a problem because they can go on YouTube and watch clips. And if yeah. you show them a clip of, you know, Luthen in the space battle, I don't think anybody's going to have or Lucasfilm is going to have trouble selling his ship. I think his ship would become one of the fastest selling fucking Star Wars ships out of all of yeah, them. Yeah, it's awesome. If they, like, it, yeah. it, I mean, and not just in toy stores, like, you know, hot toys and all that shit, like his like figurines of his ship and models, which are the two fucking Iron Man two lasers on it and shit coming out. Like people will scoop yeah. that up and pay hundreds of dollars for that. I would pay a hundred dollars yeah. for that one. I mean, cause that ship is dope as fuck with its little yeah. AI guy inside and shit. And like, yeah, man, like they, so they made merchandise in this. They did connections and Easter eggs that didn't bother us in any kind of fucking cheesy way. That video they just released, that snarky one saying, and people saying, like, Andor doesn't have Easter eggs, and they just broke down just in Luthen's shop how many Easter eggs there are. In his shop, yeah. there are Easter eggs to Star Wars gaming, Star Wars, like, you know, other trilogy pieces like The Mandalorian, um, the prequel trilogy. There's a couple references to things in there. There's references to Clone Wars and Rebels, animated series in there. So, like, they did all kinds of references and Easter eggs and shit that tie it to, or shout out other pieces of the franchise and do that. But there were constant verbal Easter eggs. And like, you're talking about the ISB thing. Like um, there are all kinds of other Easter eggs that are fucked up. Like uh, one scene when they're planning the Andor Krieger thing in the first stages, when they first learn about the pilot, that pilot was on his way to the mining colony where, Cassian will eventually go and find out that like uh, um, they're building the Death Star because and they're talking about like, oh, they had to redirect the supply lines because there's all these new shipments going out to uh, Scarif and stuff like that. So there were all kinds of like stuff. So they did everything that like gets everybody's pants wet about in Star Wars fandom and Star Wars Twitter, right? You can still go through Andor episodes and be like, oh, Andor spoilers, you know. Here's this reference that they mean, or they brought back that one Imperial commander guy, like from the movies. Like, so there's all these things they did. You can still sell all these toys and shit. And, you know, you have new stars, like people love Bix now and Adija or Adorja, like, and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, people love Marva now. So there's like new characters and all kinds of shit that they can spin off. Like Marva, you could do a whole thing about her and her fucking husband now and stories and comics or books about them and people would love it. So they did everything that all these other so-called like nostalgia shows do. Yeah. We didn't lose a single thing. Yeah, 100%. Like that's only and that's something that, you know, like when your kid's a bit older, you can show him this, right? Like you can show him this. Like that's a more mature Ooh, story. I might have to show him in 2024. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, you never know state of the world and stuff. But like, you know, I mean, I feel like in the same way that we obviously like followed the Skywalker saga, like there is something meaningful to being able to show, you know, a kid the story of the rebels and 
you know, and or in Rogue One, I feel like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think that all resonates. Rob, any other additional thoughts on your end? I, I do, but I don't want to just reiterate what we said in five other episodes of this podcast. Yeah. But here, I'll raise two topics that are worth thinking about for the future. Um, one, the show opens with kind of the crucial thing about the title character. It's the search for Cassian's sister, which quickly becomes pushed to the background when with the start of the rebellion, right? Um, yeah. I'm curious how much or if that ever gets resolved in season two or if that's part of the tragedy. No. tragedy and, and we never see that in Rogue Power I was One, right? thinking about this, like – isn't there a line, I think, in one of his conversations with Marva right before he leaves or something, doesn't she say, like, there's nothing to find? Or somebody tells him, like, there's nothing to find. She like, does. you got yeah. yeah. to let she it does. go. Like, it, it's just over. And I thought yeah. that was, I, I always took that to mean, like, I took it at face value that, like, nah, bro, like, but I don't think the mystery's over because we didn't see exactly what happened to his planet. But like I, I did think like they abandoned it because to kind of let you off to say like, you know, his sister's really dead. Like with everybody else on that planet. That's what I. Th- that's the safe assumption, and it put it plays well with what the what we see the character. But I feel like he he's already crossed the line. Like he is committed by the end of this season of like, uh, and we can also say we know that we've confirmed that season two will be a year time jump, and things have changed in that one year. Like we are full on in to early rebellion at that point, right? Um, so I wonder if, if that just pushes him to be even a little darker because like I guess it doesn't because you think of the opening shot of this show he, he, he takes out those two people he just kills them uh, that are after him um, you know what I mean They're out of the bar when he's looking for his sister and of course the opening shot of Rogue One he kills the spy he gives him the information so he, he's you know like you said Kofi, in a previous episode he's a survivor he'll kill anyone if he has to but well, that um, was the thing that like you and I always talked about like I mean in Rogue One that was fascinating that made us kind of like when people other people were like oh I don't know about this guy I was like fuck no this dude like because in Rogue One, he is a hardcore spy. That first scene is so intense when he meets yeah, an informant yeah. who gives him this big key piece of information. And because he doesn't think that guy's going to hold together, he just smokes him. And yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that ties into an interesting thing, like the, the sunset thing where he's talking about internalizing his his feelings with his with Marva, his mom, which is amazing, by the way, that B2 Emo and his mom is what starts that whole rebellion, like and then the final episode after that moment. Um, so. But – that's also probably what makes him hesitate to kill Galen Erso, right? He's ready to snipe that dude and end that, right? Um, but he doesn't, and he kind of agrees with Jyn Erso to save him. And that's probably him also bringing back that parent-child love from, from Marva, right? Still having that influence. So there's a lot to read into that. Like, I'm curious. I would love to be able to hear these conversations that the Gilroy's had with the writers about like every little moment of Rogue One, which is, by the way, a movie they repaired, not even when they planned out from the beginning, and the yeah. way they've really just took, taken ownership of that in the best way possible. But uh, Or he was thinking about Clem, cool. too, because, you know, Clem, his dad, like, yeah, got fucking yeah. shot down. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like, yeah. And, like strung up and stuff too, right? Like yep. they say like yeah. he strung him up in the square or whatever. Oh yeah. I think yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't man. But it's yeah, but like, yeah, man, it just gets so deep. It's crazy. Uh, I can't wait for next season, I will say. Because Tony Gilroy cut his teeth doing Bourne and Michael Clayton, that like hardcore espionage shit. And this was the beginning of that, right? So yeah. there's two arcs to Cassie, and it's like what made him give a fuck in the beginning to really start laying it on the line for the rebellion. And then like what made him finally change from being 
because there's two changes at first in this series he's like he's a selfish i mean he is going for a sister but he's a selfish prick who will do anything just to get himself over and keep himself alive and and on top right and that last episode is different because he like saves his friends and then he decides to kind of commit to something real finally which is the rebellion and then in rogue one he decides to just you know put it all on the line for this one mission and this one thing, which goes back to what, you know, he was always going to do. Cause that's what Luthen says. And you're like, you're going to die doing this. Like, wouldn't you just put it all on the line for something real? Like once And that's kind of what he does, man. I'm going, this shit's gotten too deep, man. Tonight's drink was a margarita. I'm getting tired. <laughs> yeah. my, my, it's making my brain hurt. Life is getting too heavy. All right. Sorry. I got one more. I got one more. You just said it, man, but Luthen, right? What are the chances this guy's a force user? People, oh, we, oh, God, why are you doing so this? Any clues and lines of dialogue and the kyber crystal and his fucking weird his <laughs> it, the thing in the Sagarera scene when he goes to that cave, he's got that weird lightsaber looking cane thing which they focus yeah, a shot on. You know, and the way he flies that ship, that ain't normal, right? Like I don't know, I don't know, man. No, there's something. To, yeah, you can't be an antique dealer and kind of and do that. Um, people, there's a lot of Jedi artifacts been, up in that place. Yeah, there's been a lot of theories that he's a former Jedi. Like, and I mean, it would make sense if he was like, it'd be it. It would be make sense if he was something like a Jedi outpost guy or an archive guy, like of some kind, who had all who could flip all that shit into just putting up the front of an antique shop. But um, like, I wouldn't be surprised. He handles himself in battle, both on foot and in space like a fucking Jedi would. Um, there are other people who could do that. I mean, it's not just Jedi, but like, like you said, that monologue about like, what I, what do I have to do? And like, to kind of, what do I give for the rebellion? Like everything there's like lines, like he says something about like, I have to use the tools of my enemy to kind of defeat him. And yeah. you could look at him being a Jedi who, had to kind of forsake the teachings of the order and started to live like a Sith and do things like a Sith because that's what he kind of is. Right. I mean, he's the most Sith Lordy person since Palpatine that we've ever seen in the fucking franchise just so happens he's fighting for the rebellion. And so like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And he likes robes with hoods. Those are always Jedi. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing that really stuck out, I mean, the way he, his cloak, there's always little tiny things. His ship is very advanced. And the way he flies, the, when he cuts up those things, those TIE fighters in space, like he's doing shit I've never, like that is, you know what I mean? Like that is not some normal like targeting system shit. The way he cuts up those uh, TIE fighters with that Iron Man weapon you described. <laughs> but also the thing that turned me is when he's having that long conversation with his spy at the ISB. You know what I'm talking about? And he's yeah, convincing them that you have to. We are giving up everybody to keep you here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, he's talking about. I have to use the tools. Right? Yeah. That's that's what I was saying. The tools of my enemy. Oh, that's I'm the whole sorry, monologue. That. Yeah. Where he says like the thing about his equation and his thing. It sounds like he's like he could be a Jedi survive Order sixty six, or he could be like some some in between, or uh, someone who lost their way of the light side and was a dark side, and that's why he's so easily able to a read people like our title character, but also like just across these lines. So willingly and just sacrifice people left, right and center. Right. Um, I don't know. He's definitely a manipulator. Right. So dark side vibes, but uh, yeah. anyways, Ben, you didn't get to say much about this. Uh, no, I mean, I think I've, I've come on, on the entire side about Cassian. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've, I have definitely really like turned around on this. Um, I was always excited for this because of the Gilroy connections. It felt like it was going to be something different and that, that certainly did excite me, but I also just, like I said, Cassian was not the character out of everybody in Rogue One that I had previously kind of connected to. So I, I wasn't sure how I was going to sit with this and how interested I would be in him and, and his story. But I, I would say like, it wasn't like that it was off to a slow start for me, but I'd say those first couple episodes were a bit of a slow burn for me, but the rubber really meets the road. Um, you know, kind of once he gets recruited and he's out there, you know, for the, for the heist. And then the prison stuff is probably my favorite stuff from the entire show. I just thought that was phenomenal. Um, and you know, the way it Which, all wraps up, like I definitely am excited for but think about two. it. Going back to what Rob said, but the trick of it is the prison arc is people's favorite, but most of that is guys. They even have the budget for fucking shoe wear for them. They just are fucking yeah, running around yeah, yeah, yeah. barefoot yeah. in the same set, putting together the same, same, <laughs> the same costume, putting together the same crazy fucking mechanic yeah. that they did a prop that they just kept recycling. And like, yeah. and it's just all of them talking. Cassie doesn't even pick up a gun for like three episodes. Yeah. He doesn't beat for anybody sure. up. He doesn't run anywhere. He doesn't do anything. Like, yeah. And you're still like, this shit's awesome. <laughs> like, it's it's a construction room. It's a fucking main magic trick, dude. Yeah. The like, one yeah. hallway with their man, that even the little things like when they're in the hallway communicating through the glass to the other rooms, like, man, yeah, the yeah. little details of this. Holy shit. Like, this real prison level. shit. Like, yeah. That's, <laughs> like, that's why it feels real world. Like, that's real prison shit. Like, that's what people do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, but it's just, it's so nuts. Just like what they pulled off the tricks of this. Like when you really step back and think about it and you're like, yeah. I just watched the fucking, and the prison arc is technically like the longest. Cause it's like four episodes. If you count seven, which is this weird in between episode. Um, yeah, yeah. after that is where he gets arrested. Uh, so if you count seven, eight, so seven, eight, nine and 10. Yeah. Like, and most yeah. of that is just dude does not go anywhere. He doesn't interact with any of the established characters from the show. They don't even know where he is. Like he doesn't fucking really fight anybody until 10 or have any action sequences. It's just all yeah. talking with, him, with your title or character with your titular character. But um, I'm still- I also want to, I just want a quick shout out. Like we talk about Cassie and Andor and when everybody's at least come around and that's been the debate of season one. Oh, is this character, worth kind of visiting but fucking diego luna's the fucking man dude like yeah, he's he, he does so he is such just like an understated kind of straight man actor like and yeah he did it in narcos mexico if you haven't watched that or yeah he did such a good job playing like a notorious drug lord in narcos mexico um but um yeah, he just, like I said, the, just the thing with the beach and the sunrise and, you know, just him giving the line to the other guy, like, oh, everything's fine. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, everything perfect. And he yeah. just found out his mom died and just all of that in his face and his eyes and all that. He's so understated and, you know, his character is so tightly emotionally controlled, but he does such a good job just kind of with the complexity and letting you know how this guy feels and Cassian and showing you like why he became a good spy because he does kind of manipulate everybody. Like everybody ends up saying shit that Cassian and or putting their yeah. ear, right? <laughs> like, and just kind of repeating it out loud and doing drastic shit. And he always disrupts shit. He's like, yeah. a, he's a very good bond type. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, 
and yeah, he's doing it sometimes nobly and sometimes, but the first episode arcs I really love about him on Ferrix is just showing him as like a hustler. It's just like in the streets yeah. and kind of charming his way through like, you know, using everybody basically. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, ghost. I got to rewatch this yeah. show, man. I'm tired of talking about it now. I got to start rewatch. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. So, what are you guys wanting to see in season two? Then, like you were talking about this mystery. Oh yeah. Oh man, I got so excited. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like I, I mean, see you know, we know that. I mean, we know that may not be resolved or not, but like there are some dangling threads here that are obviously quite interesting. Um, I want to see him. I mean, they've said they've already set it up to just easily walk this into the fucking goat hall, like the goat hall of fame like all you you've put all the pieces together already like everything's already there the the noose will tighten on mon matha and she'll have to fucking eventually break and go full rebel and like you know go on the run and be living out of bases and doing all the shit that we see her doing in the movies we know that saw and them will it's Saul's people who figure out who confirmed the Death Star. So we know season two will be kind of a continuation of Cassian and that other dude from the prison that we saw in Rogue One. Another, a guy who just was in the background of fucking Rogue One, who they turned yeah. into this much more meaningful relationship that because he, he and Cassian escaped the prison together. Like, we know that they, they're going to start investigating what the fuck was going on at Narkia 5. And those breadcrumbs are eventually going to, I mean, the post-credit scene literally tells us those breadcrumbs are going to lead to the bigger reveal that those were just <laughs> small things in this huge super weapon. So all you yeah. got to do in season two is just do all the crazy missions and compromises that it took to figure this shit out. Like, what did yeah. it take to kind of get to the heart of this into, and that's going to make rogue one even more fucked up. Cause you're going to be like, shit was really on the line. Like, Holy fuck. <laughs> like, and yeah. like how many people died just to get us here? Like, so, I mean, I just hope they just, they have a plan and I just hope they stick to it. Don't go crazy. Just with, you know, just do what you're telling a really good story. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. There's, uh, I'm curious in the structure of it. I assume it's going to be somewhat similar with these like. S- oh yeah, the directors. Time jumps. They do. They have directors already set for episode That's arcs, it. and they'll be covering time periods in like all through the last four, five to four years, depending on where the season two actually starts to like you know when it jumps. But yeah, they'll be covering. This was five ABY. Or uh, five BBY, and then yeah, it'll just cover four, three, two, right up until he goes to the mining colony at the beginning of Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, it's it. What gives me great confidence, outside of the obvious quality of the show being my favorite, is that they had pre-planned twenty-four episodes from the very beginning, Uh, so they know already, and that's like very reassuring. Especially given the fact that we're going to start to see a lot more of familiar things, which to me is not a positive, but it's absolutely necessary given the, the role this season two will play. But, you know, we're probably going to see the setup of Yavin 4, which means there's some sort of drastic shift on the probably Mamothma side on the politicking and the financing of it all. This, her big thing is trying to get out of this financial issue and get finances for Luthen and, and start these little sparks of the rebellion across the galaxy while breaking things and pushing people to the point where they have to rebel. But we know come 
original trilogy time, you know, we have a fleet of ships of sorts. There are some capital ships. You see elements of this in Star Wars Rebels as well. Um, we're obviously going to meet K2SO, so there's some sort of Imperial heists and uh, uh, intrigue there. Uh, and I, But the questions are, like, what happens, of course, the sister element, but what happens to people like Bix and that team, and what happens to Luthan? Like, there's no evidence of him being anywhere else yeah. in Star Wars lore beyond this. So, But they could save him for other shows, but also this could be the end of that story for him too, right? So yeah very curious on that and of course Sagarera's team i assume they show up to do something bigger in season two as well but lots of big things to show yeah um all right well anything else to say here uh best star wars i wouldn't mind a live action bad batch cameo oh that'd be, oh, that'd be interesting yeah yeah some like cool ass commando shit yeah yeah. Have you guys watched Tales of the Jedi or whatever it is? Fuck uh, yeah. Just the Ahsoka episode so far. Okay, so yeah, I I I mean I figured I kind of figured you would have Kofi. I, I really want to. I just I haven't gotten to it yet. But Dude, that shit is dope um, as fuck. Are they all are they all like fifteen minutes like that? So because the Ahsoka one is pretty short. It essentially is yes, it essentially comes to about all together about like about a forty to forty five minute story for Ahsoka and a forty forty five minute story for Dooku spread across the various time periods mm-hmm. of their lives. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um yeah, I need to I think that's probably next on my on my to do's. It's easy and once you get rolling on it, it's it's actually really good, dude. I gotta say I've liked all the kind of ancillary stuff that like Star Wars has done in the last year, whether it's like the High Republic novels or some of the comic stuff or these kind of things they've been experimenting with, like uh, the Tales of the Jedi anthology series and um, the um, what was the name of the anime stuff? Star Wars. What was that called? The anyway, the anime anthology stuff. Yeah, visions, yeah, like right. all that stuff has been so dope, and I and I think visions is even getting its own spinoff based on the first story, right? Um, the Ronin guy, dude. Uh, I think so because they gave, they gave him the book as well already, right? So yeah, so I mean that shit just was so dope. So it's all been cool. So if I got to say a final thought, it's enjoy Star Wars and how it's growing because right now, thanks to Bob Bob C. We, the movies have been, I mean, they're just completely grinding to a halt and who knows what's going to happen there now that Bob I is back in house. So (laughs) we'll see what happens there. They announce announce episodes like 10, 11, 12. We're like, oh God, no. (laughs) I do have some hope for like Damon Lindelof's new movie and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I I just hope we continue to get some good variation on on the small screen because we have been and and or it's just another thing we need more of in the franchise so yeah yay awesome uh all right guys anything else uh you want to talk violent night like really quick kofi oh shit yeah i guess um go see violent night you're gonna bounce you you guys jump into this yeah yeah i'm just gonna be real quick because i'm not gonna spoil anything yeah Um, um i'm just going to say go see violent night it is a it is a new christmas cult classic i will say cult classic but uh so was bad santa at one point in time you know and yeah. it takes time but uh it, it's just a good 
It's a uh, Tommy Workola. I think I always butcher his name, but I think it's Workola, the guy who did Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunter, and Dead Snow, uh, the yep. uh, Nazi zombie movie in the the winter Nazi zombie movie, and who kind of kicked off the whole Nazi zombie viral craze. Um, he is back, and this is another one of his kind of high concept mashups that is, you know, at once super violent, comedic. And somehow also telling like a, a, a an earnest story. If I remember yeah. the Screen Rant days, you did. I think you reviewed. Did you review Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunter? <laughs> I think I did. Yeah, I think Great I did. Great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I and I remember you were pretty high on it at the time. I mean, you you recognized it was. I think kind so. Of I think co- yeah. I mean, Rob was even more obsessed with it than I was, but I yeah, I would say I enjoyed. But it. But that's like I mean, Remmer. That's what they can let us know that Renner and Adderton were really fucking dope, man. They were yeah dope pair. Sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, that got him the Hawkeye job later, man. And a uh, good old Hansel and Gretel witch hunter. Um, <laughs> but uh. Anyway, so this is another one of his films, and it is at once diehard, but also at once this pastiche of famous Christmas movies. Like, there's literally Beverly D'Angelo from Christmas Vacation, and, you know, they do this whole Home Alone sequence that is pretty fucking outrageous, and one of the more outrageous parts in the movie. Um, And, you know, the obvious... Santa Claus diehard thing, but there's other movies you'll recognize in this and, and that's fun. The Easter eggs of it all. When you're seeing this, the hyper violent parts of it, when you're also recognizing Christmas, you know, classics, but in this fucked up twist um, yeah. is great. There's great actors here. Like I said, a uh, comedic legend, Beverly D'Angelo, um, people like John, like Wazamo. And, uh, and David Harbour, obviously, as Santa Claus, and and newer faces that you don't probably know, but are are pretty good in this. Uh, some of the criminals and some of the family or in hostages alike are all kind of everybody's pretty good as an ensemble. And so there's just a lot of fun things in this movie, and it's easy to see this one becoming one that people put on every year. The cheesy pun lines like. Tommy never takes himself too seriously. Like in Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunter, he doesn't take himself to, he, he both, he at once knows deep lore about like folklore about these characters and, or tall tales or mystical beings because Santa has a whole deep backstory and kind of that's yeah. implied in this whole Nordic <laughs> thing going on or like Viking thing going on or yeah. Celtic Viking. Yeah. I don't, I forget which it is, but um, yeah, there's this whole major backstory about like this Santa is actually built for war because of who he was and all this stuff and is built on like real kind of like fantasy lore stuff. And so that's all earnest, but it's also very tongue in cheek, uh, like comedic and not slapstick. Like people get fucked up in this movie, but there's also puns like you see in the ads, like time for seasons beatings. And so David, for David Harbour, this is like a perfect role. Like, fuck Hellboy. Like, he needs stuff that's weird and just so weird like this. Because his Santa has all these personal problems with the whole arc with that. And just how shitty the world's getting and how shitty people are getting. And there's a whole thing about that. And so, and there's an earnest Christmas movie in here, too. 
It's not yeah. just an imitation of other ones. There's actually a real heartfelt arc. That, and sometimes at the end, that gets kind of really cheesy, but in like a good Christmas <laughs> movie way, like that the cheese is what you expect at a, you know, a Christmas party. So, um, yeah, it's just easy to say like that this is going to be, it's hard to see anybody. This one's almost like hate proof. It's hard to see anybody going into this being like, I expected a serious action movie and that's not this. It was too silly. Like I think anybody who goes into this to see it knows what they're going into and is going to come away laughing and having a good time saying, holy shit at some action sequences and just being like, yeah, that's going to be one I'm throwing in the holiday rotation. Like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought. I thought like, you know, I saw some other critics coming out of my screening who were, you know, like picking this thing apart and, and finding things that were, you know, <laughs> like, I just, I have a hard time, like with anybody going into this movie, like expecting anything from it. Cause what I expected was die hard where John McClane is Santa. And that's basically what I got, you know, and there are very specific like diehard references in this, like people getting stabbed in the freaking eye with like icicles and stuff like that. Um, and just kind of the what I what surprised me the most about it, I think, was how sympathetic by the end of it and real and sincere, you know, David Harbour's Santa sort of is the relationship that he has with, you know, the the little girl that he's trying to save, I think, is actually quite sweet. And, I mean, you know, maybe I said, you know, now that I'm back in Colorado, I'm with my family, I have a daughter, like Christmas just feels a little bit more magical to me. And so this uh this kind of scratched that itch for me. Like I felt like I felt like this was kind of like a Christmas movie that I would potentially revisit, you know, once in a while to sort of get my Christmas cheer the way like I watch elf or, or something, even though it's people being <laughs> like brutally ripped apart and, and, you know, like smashed by, by Santa in this. But I mean, the finale fight of this and the resolution of that is like, the juxtaposition of Santa doing these things and and the way that it all sort of plays together. I just remembered. It's been a few weeks. Yeah. I just remember. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, you know, I mean, they just lean so hard into the absurdity of the whole thing. And it's just cool, though. I mean, it all kind of comes together. And by the end of it, you like really are sort of like rooting for this guy. And I, I will say, you know, when it started out and he was like drunk and he was like throwing up on people and stuff, I was a little bit curious, like, how they were going to shift him and how they were going to get us where we needed to go, how much time they were going to waste kind of turning him around. But I mean, for the most, most part, once we sort of get on the property of the house where all of this goes down, it's like, you know, he's a little bit of a kind of, I'm too old for this shit type character at the start. But for the most part, I mean, it's still, it's still really fun. And he's like, still a really capable fighter. And like, there's some like grotesque humor. There's a great, like, home alone sort of homage in the not even homage but well yeah i guess it's an homage uh yeah no i said like that yeah. reference but yeah i mean it's like and it works like it is like an r-rated version of what home alone kind of would be and i just I, yeah i think it i think it gets everything right for what it is you know am i going to recommend this to God. my in-laws to go see you like no but for someone if i tell someone like you like you know you like die hard you want to see Santa, you know, beat people up. And that person's like, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. I mean, this is exactly what I was expecting from it. Um, and I follow John, John, John Lick was almost hilarious. 
Yeah, no, I'm saying, but to all our listeners who liked Project X, you'll like this. <laughs> See, this is, yeah, further proof that I need to go back and uh, and revisit Project X. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. There's not a lot to say. I, you know, Kofi and I could spoil, like, our favorite moments. Maybe we'll do that after, you know, after more people have seen it. Because there, there are some, like, really ridiculous and funny things to talk about here. But I think part of the enjoyment of it is kind of, you know, being along for that ride and getting some of the those fun scenes and sort of anticipating what's about to happen and seeing them. So I don't want to, I don't want to go into too many spoilers, but man, yeah, I'll say, you know, a chimney is used to, in a way that I never expected it to be used <laughs> towards the end of this movie. And, uh, and yeah, it's just super awesome. Um, I, I definitely dug it. I like movies like this where it's just kind of a goofy concept that that's executed well. So I would, uh, and I'm, I'm with you like, fuck Hellboy. Like I want to see, um, yeah, I want to see Violent Night too. Like, I and I do want to see Violent Night too. I think like one hundred percent. This is like this would be a great franchise that every couple of years, you know, we get David Harbor dressing up as Santa, fucking destroying people. It's like whatever the most violent and insane thing is that Santa gets up to when he's delivering presents. Like, I would watch that every single year. So um, I'm with it for sure. Uh. All right. Well, we can uh, we can wrap up. Rob, are you still around? You yes, still sir. In? Okay, cool. You gonna go see Violent Night now? Hell's yeah, man! I love David Harbour and what you guys yeah. saying. Uh, I mean, I was already sold on the pitch, but <laughs> and it's David <laughs> Harbour. I even sat through Hellboy, even though I didn't like it. But this one sounds awesome. You know what I'll say? I've actually not seen the most the the Hellboy reboot with him. I never got around to seeing it. It's on my. It's so my- hard. Oh god, it's so hard. I did it on an airplane, and it was and same. I was That's to watch it. And I was so funny. And the smaller it is, I was happy it was small. But even then, I was just like, I don't know if I can follow this. It's one of those movies that's so bad <laughs> that you can't even tell if you're following it or if you maybe are having like small, small like seizures. Because yeah. you know, like I feel like this scene doesn't make sense compared to the last one. Like what's happening? It's oh, so funny yeah. that like you guys say like to watch it on a plane because that's like literally what I've been waiting on. Um, yeah, like I've literally that's been waiting the only on way to the do plane it. ride that I needed once. It's yeah. it's fitting that uh, Mila Jovovich is in it because it's like it's uh, down there with like the worst Resident Evil type film, so it's comparable to that. And you know what I'm talking mm. saying? So yeah, it's yeah. I will it's, say. Uh, yeah. Save it for like times you have to like you you're cradling like your daughter or something and you're trying to get her to sleep or something like that and watch it <laughs> Just put that on headphone like within your oh, headphone. Oh, I see what you're saying. I Set yourself saying. up on your tiny little phone. Like, yeah, yeah, man. Any movie is good in those situations. I've watched some real <laughs> crazy movies. I've never watched anything because it was on. You know, you can't watch anything you really want to visually appreciate. So you just gotta watch some bullshit. That you could have like one air one AirPod in while you're holding a baby for God knows how long. Uh, yeah, I get that. Um, all right, guys. Well, cool. We can uh, we can wrap up from there. That'll do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Um, I'm not sure what we do next week. Maybe we can catch up on some shows we've been watching because I've been watching 1899. I know the guys mentioned some other stuff they've been watching. So I told. Uh, I told Rob to go watch dark because Rob hasn't seen D- dark yet. So he was asking me about that. So I said, yeah, I don't that. watch, I don't know these guys or their work. I haven't, I haven't delved into all this global yeah, TV same. show. It just yeah. is new and scary to me. People start. Wait, have you not, Kofi, you haven't seen dark. I've, I, people keep switching languages. I don't know, man. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> oh man. You would, I think you would really 
like even more so than Rob, like probably really loved Dark. The Dark. networks out the Netflix algorithms tried for years to tell me it was the top thing picked for me, and then they just gave Same. up on me. I was yeah. like, You do he was like, You do you, fuck you. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> man, I just I just it's because <clears throat> I watch a lot of things at work and anything with subtitles I can't watch like at work because yeah. I have to actually be working. And like yeah, screens and words. So like anime, any of the international shows, like it gets really hard. But yeah, I do want to see it. If we do chat next week, uh, I'll probably talk a little bit about the peripheral because the season finale is oh, Friday. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can watch so that. There are screeners of a couple upcoming shows end of year in January, and I don't know if embargo is coming up on some of the first episodes. We'll see. I, I can see Jack Ryan's one of them coming out in December, so maybe we can preview that. I don't know. We'll okay. see. Yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe we should rewatch uh, Avatar because that was a oh, that's a pretty big fun. deal. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would do. I would rewatch Avatar in preparation yeah. and do a yeah, little. And like, let's just talk about it because it was it's funny stories. Because <laughs> I mean, that was like the beginning of things for us when we really got into like, doing Avatar yeah. and all that crazy shit. So, do we have a? I wonder if we have a Screaming Underground episode for that. Do we? That's my first Comic Con. Man, Avatar was there. We probably weren't doing the Screaming Underground at that point, right? Two thousand. It was, it was Fright Night. Was our well, Fright Night. No, no, don't no, be no, yeah, Avatar. Because yeah. Yeah. yeah, Fright yeah. Night was. Uh, was that like 2012? 10? 11? Oh, it was 2011. Yeah, you're right. Oh, so yeah, we didn't we didn't have an Avatar episode. That was before. We were writing, but we weren't uh, we weren't podcasting yet at that point. Um, okay, well, cool. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll hook up next week. Uh, Mr. Rob Keys, where can people find you on the on the internet? Well, they can find me on Twitter. Has it still? living um at rob underscore keys that's k-e-y-e-s and i am fail cube on twitch and uh instagram yeah cool um find your work over at screenrant.com yeah collider cbr those websites you know yep little guys uh kofi outlaw special guest you can find me over at this tiny indie site called bitchplease.com no I'm just kidding over at comicbook.com and I host the excellent show Comic Book Nation the only show that does it all for geek culture and we are on your podcast platforms on your on our YouTube and you can always catch us on Paramount Plus's Mixable channel where they uh, mix us up with other programming kind of like us but not as good and you can find me here guesting on what is podcast x and on the twitters at kofi outlaw like jamie lannister there are no men like me there is only me so uh yeah anywhere you want to find out who is kofi outlaw you can figure me out so see you there excellent uh you can follow me on twitter hive mastodon wherever you uh wherever you landed i've secured all those are you handles. just saying words you're just yeah, saying I, you know. it's just stuff that the the Gen Zs are are saying, I think. But um, you can find me on all of that at, at Ben Kendrick, B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. That'll do it for this week's episode. We will see y'all next week. <laughs>